The Curbsiders podcast is for entertainment, education, and information purposes only, and the topics discussed should not be used solely to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or conditions. Furthermore, the views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and should not be interpreted to reflect official policy or position of any entity, aside from possibly Cash Like Moral Hospital and affiliate outreach programs, if indeed there are any. In fact, there are none. Pretty much, we are responsible if you screw up. You should always do your own homework and let us know when we're wrong. Welcome back to the Curbsiders. I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Elena Gibson, the mastermind and driver of the series. Elena, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for asking. Um, as a reminder, this is our quick recaps of USPSTF updates that you'll tell us a little bit more about in just a moment. Uh, we were joined by Dr. Michael Barry tonight. Uh, and before I let you tell us about our guests and our topic, I'm just going to remind you that we are the Internal Medicine Podcast. We use expert interviews to bring you clinical pearls and practice changing knowledge. Elena, tell us what we're doing this specific episode, who we talked to, and what we talked about. All right. Happy to, Paul. So in this episode, we have a great conversation about vitamin use, including multivitamins and more specific vitamins for the prevention of cardiovascular disease and cancer with our guest, Michael Berry from the USPSTF. Um, overall, they had a lot of new evidence to review and excited to tell you about the updates. So our guest, Michael Berry, is a vice chair of the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force and director of the Informed Medical Decisions Program in the Health Decision Sciences Center at Massachusetts General Hospital. He was on a previous episode for a USPSTF update on colorectal cancer, so you might recognize him. And he is a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School as well. All right. And without further ado, let's get to it. Dr. Barry, Michael, thank you so much for coming back and joining us. It's it's great to see you again. Well, thanks, Paul and Lane. It's good to be back with you. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> you know, sorry, Paul, just to give you a chance to say, <laughs> just to say how great it was to be with me. Um, excellent hosting on my part. So obviously, we invited you back to talk to us about the new USPSCF recommendation for vitamins, minerals, and multivitamin supplementation to prevent cardiovascular disease and cancer, which is a, a mouthful, but... Before we do, I, I want to give you a chance to, to reintroduce yourself and just give us the one-liner about who you are and what you do when you're not helping with a recommendation. Sure. Well, I'm Dr. Michael Berry. I'm uh, based at Mass General Hospital in Boston, and uh, I'm an adult primary care uh, doctor who tries to get the best outcomes for my patients by combining evidence and their preferences. That is succinct. Um, I love it. Let's um, let's not waste any more time. Like, I think this is a recommendation that actually generated a lot of sort of media buzz and people, I think, are going to be curious about. So why don't we start with the case as per usual? And Elena, why don't I ask you to tell us about our patient, James Lind? Yeah, I'm happy to, Paul. So James Lind is a 46-year-old gentleman, has a past medical history of hypertension, prediabetes, dyslipidemia, and obesity. He's coming in to his primary care physician for routine follow-up. He overall feels well. He doesn't have any new concerns. However, he is wondering if he should be taking a multivitamin for his general health. Happily, you remember that the USPSTF has released a new guideline on this very topic. Lucky for you. So broadly speaking, Michael, what is the current state of affairs in terms of vitamin use in the United States? 
Well, uh, many people take uh, supplements, uh, perhaps uh, up to a half of uh, Americans will, will take supplements for their general health. About a third of those, uh, about a third of folks take uh, multiple vitamins. So it's uh, pretty common. That's a big number. Why might some of those people, you know, if almost half of people think there is a role for vitamins and mineral supplementation in the prevention of illness and specifically for these recommendations, cancer and cardiovascular disease? Well, our, our patient tonight is a, a really an excellent case in point. Uh, he's got some uh, health issues uh, that uh, can affect particularly his cardiovascular risk, uh, his blood pressure, lipids, weight. And um, uh, it's good that he's thinking about how to improve his health. And, and frankly, I think him raising um, the issue of vitamins is a great entree in a discussion, a broader discussion about how he could uh, improve his outcomes, reduce his risk, uh, both of cardiovascular disease that he seems to be at increased risk for, given those factors, and uh, cancer. And um, uh, now, I don't know what's behind his question, but um, taking popping a vitamin once a day is pretty easy. Um, uh, costs you something, um, but compared to say um, our recommendations about getting a. 150 minutes a week of uh, moderate intensity exercise uh, to improve your outcomes, plus strength training two days a week, uh, it's a lot easier. And that, uh, uh, I suppose that's my concern of whether people might decide to take a multivitamin instead of doing the tougher stuff, but but stuff that has better evidence of improved outcomes. Well, it's not... Absurd. There might be a theoretical basis that it could be helpful, right? So, I mean, I think we talked a little bit offline that, you know, there's this theoretical antioxidant effect. And if you're reducing inflammation and oxidation, you know, both of which are are putative mechanisms in cardiovascular disease and cancer, like it stands to reason they they might be helpful, right? right? Well, his question is certainly a very reasonable one. Again, an entree into discussion about discussing other things he could do. But but that was the motivation uh, behind the task force taking on once again the question of uh, uh, individual uh, vitamins or minerals or combinations or the ultimate combination in a multiple vitamin uh, to try to uh, reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease or cancer, which after all are our two biggest killers in the United States. So it would be uh, great if we could find evidence that that were uh, effective. Um, uh, as as we'll talk about, um, we despite having lots of evidence, lots of trials, and lots of people, with few exceptions, uh, we couldn't make a definitive statement for or against uh, uh, taking vitamins either individually or minerals individually or in combination in terms of reductions in um, cardiovascular risk or cancer. Again, with a couple of exceptions that we'll get into. So. I, I know for myself too, the idea of taking like a gummy multivitamin seems like the the easiest possibility out of supplementation. So what out of the recommendation for multivitamin supplementation might apply to Mr. Lind? Well, 
the evidence for uh, multivitamins um, is copious. Uh, uh, we found about uh, nine trials with over 50,000 people, uh, including a relatively new trial, the Cosmos trial, which added another 20,000 people to the, uh, to the uh, N. And um, that evidence, looking at it all together, was not enough to recommend for or against multivitamin uh, supplements. We um, call that an I statement. And it's important to emphasize that an I statement means we don't have enough evidence to recommend for or against uh, the intervention, in this case, a multivitamin. Um, uh, we're, we just can't say. So we're not saying not to do it. We're not saying to do it. And, and Mr. Lind is doing the right thing, talking to his uh, trusted clinician about it. That's that's a nice framing, um, and I think a true one. Like that, that sounds a little bit kind of something. But yeah, I think it's. I'm glad that you're invested in your health, and let's have a conversation about right. that. I think is is a nice way to sort of have the have that discussion. But just to be absolutely explicit, so the because I, I think this is sort of the main takeaway that is sort of has been out there in the media is that the conclusion that the current evidence is insufficient to assess the balance of benefits and harms for multivitamins for prevention of cardiovascular disease and cancer. So we're we're saying we just we just don't know enough. Just to kind of recap what you'd said, right. Uh, and again, despite a fair amount of evidence in, in lots of people, but the studies have gone in both directions. And when you look at them all together, uh, there's just not a, enough evidence to say do it or not do it. And are there any specific groups of people that weren't included in these studies or that these recommendations don't apply to? Well, it's it's very important to stress two things. One is that we focused on cardiovascular disease and cancer, two important problems, but there are other outcomes that could be considered. In fact, I'll emphasize that for um, people who might become pregnant or who are pregnant, um, these recommendations wouldn't apply because we have a separate um, A recommendation that uh, those people should take a folic acid supplement either alone or in combination uh, in a multiple vitamin to prevent the risk of neural tube defects, which can be disastrous in babies. So that would be a group that this clearly wouldn't apply to. And then people who have chronic illnesses, have known vitamin deficiencies, have an illness that could affect a vitamin absorption. I might think of celiac disease or something like that. Uh, th those would be conditions uh, that we're not talking about. This is for uh, asymptomatic people, or at least asymptomatic in terms of risk of having a vitamin deficiency. Right. So specifically, we're talking about primary prevention and not the treatment of specific illnesses is what I'm is Exactly what I'm right. And I, it, yeah, the idea of multivitamins, I, it, it's always kind of funny to me because it really does feel like a shotgun approach. Like, I guess it's sort of satisfying, better safe than sorry. If I just take all the vitamins, that means I'll be the healthiest. But if you, if we're a little bit more selective in what we look at, were there any vitamins that had a signal that they might be helpful? Because it looks, I mean, it sounds like you guys poured through just tons and tons of data. So were, did anything stand out as potentially helpful that we might consider a little bit more strongly? Well, l let me start on the flip side because there were uh, two um, supplements that we actually recommend against. Uh, one is uh, vitamin E supplementation. And um, uh, the evidence there was enough to say there's 
just not enough signal of benefit here. Uh, we recommend that people don't take it. The other uh, is a supplement called beta-carotene that had been studied in terms of trying to reduce lung cancer risk. And uh, paradoxically, uh, the, the many trials that were done actually suggested in higher-risk people, the risk of uh, lung cancer might be higher with beta-carotene rather than lower. So we recommend against um, uh, beta-carotene supplements. Otherwise, um, uh, we have an I statement for the other vitamins and minerals we looked at for this general purpose. And while um, if we look at uh, an occasional individual outcome uh, may go one way or the other, but the overall picture is no consistent evidence of benefit. Um, for example, um, in the multivitamin uh, uh, studies, there was some suggestion of a what I would say would be a tiny reduction in cancer incidence, about a half a percent, um, and... Um, uh, but no uh, evidence of effect on cancer mortality ov or overall mortality. And you have to be cautious, as you all know, that when you do what we did, which was look at multiple outcomes, uh, the chance that one or two things are going to turn up just by chance it, it is always very real. Um, but uh, to, to really get down to the bottom of your question, no consistent signal. Uh, that uh, that would let us get off, if you will, off the I statement. Can I ask, actually, if, if you're comfortable talking about it, can I ask you to expand a little bit more on the harms, um, specifically on the ones that are, are coming in the recommendation? Because I feel like that's actually probably one of the more helpful things when having the conversation with patients as to why there's, you know, why you would not sort of recommend strongly for those. Can so. So can, you, can I ask you to talk about some of the specific harms that were seen in the studies that you looked at? Well, again, in, in the, um, the beta-carotene study, it was a higher risk of lung cancer in people already at risk of lung cancer from smoking or asbestos exposures or other things. At the, the usual doses of um, vitamin C in a multivitamin supplement, the harms seem relatively small, but... Um, as for all things, moderation is important because large doses of vitamins uh, can cause specific problems. For example, uh, vitamin D taken at higher doses over a long time can be related to kidney stones. Uh, large doses of uh, vitamin A can cause uh, problems with headaches and liver problems. But again, those would be at uh, the sort of megadose levels that some people occasionally take. Within each study, too, it did seem like you guys specified like the doses that were higher, those were more harmful on average. Right. Many of the studies did not use uh, very large doses, but um, but we did consider the doses. In fact, in, in responding to the public comments on our draft mm -hmm. recommendation statements, there was a call for us to be more explicit about the doses that were used in the, in the studies, and our, our, our report has that information. And what, how did this compare, you know, the previous guidelines on uh, vitamin supplementation that were now, were now being updated? How did this compare? Right. Well, as it turned out, it lined up pretty much exactly with our 2014 recommendations, which uh, might come as a surprise because actually there were 52 new studies. Uh, and, um, oh, uh, you know, you'd say, gosh, um, you looked at 84 studies altogether in almost uh, over 700,000 folks. How come you're still uh, uncertain? We just didn't think there was enough confidence in the result to say 
um, you should or shouldn't take vitamin D for that purpose. So, it, you know, it's not just the amount of evidence, it's the variability in the evidence. And that's a good illustration of the, the difference. And just, just so I'm understanding process here, it sounds like there was a lot more data since the 2014 recommendation, which prompted sort of the, the re-review, which is the data did not actually move the needle in one direction or the other for any of the recommendations from before. Is that right? Uh, that's right. And, uh, you know, we, we really uh, try to review our recommendations periodically, often every five years or so. We, we also keep an eye out for new data that was coming along, and we were aware of that with uh, – uh, with the vitamin and mineral uh, supplement studies. In, in fact, we even held up a little bit at the end, waiting for that Cosmos trial of multiple vitamins with another 20,000 folks, hoping that might help us move in one direction or another. But uh, <laughs> we're still waiting for Godot, I fear, with most of these. <laughs> All right. So good news for researchers. <laughs> the vitamin field is wide open for you still. So keep trying. We do have recommendations for for uh, further research, despite all the research that's been done. One is, for example, the the Cosmos trial, which was a really well done trial in in a lot of folks, only had uh, uh, 3.6 years of follow up, and um, certainly when you're c counting cardiovascular outcomes or cancer outcomes, a longer follow up may be really important. We're also interested in whether there are subgroups. Uh, of our population that might stand uh, more to gain, say, because of issues of food insecurity or other things. And uh, we, we need more work there. Yeah, that's a great point. I was thinking, too, uh, you know, that the industry for vitamin supplementation seems to be huge. Was there a consideration for the harm of the cost of supplementation to patients? Well, um, the task force actually doesn't consider cost in, in our uh, deliberations around recommendations. And um, so we look strictly at the benefits and harms and make recommendations on that, uh, on that basis. Um, uh, you know, there are certainly broader issues, but, uh, and I like that you mentioned gummies, a lot of people like those, yeah. uh, but um, uh, but 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 cost wasn't part of the consideration. Yeah, it's remarkable because I think in the background, I, I believe in the evidence review, it's, it's the supplementation is a thirty billion dollar a year with a B industry. I think I saw, and that may be a couple years old at this point. So it's it's remarkable that so much money is being made on something for which the evidence is still not all that compelling. Well, um, again, important to emphasize that while we don't um, recommend for it. We don't recommend against it either for all the reasons we've been talking about. Um, and again, getting back to our uh, case for the evening, um, you know, my one concern would be maybe more than the side effects would be uh, the potential for distraction from other uh, health behaviors or interventions that, uh, that can uh, make a bigger difference. So, uh, for example, I don't know if uh, Mr. Lind is taking a statin for his dyslipidemia and hypertension. Um, you know, the the benefit of um, uh, statins in general for on um, cardiovascular disease outcomes are roughly 30%. So, you know, for vitamins, we're debating, gee, could, you know, might there still be a few percent decrease if we did more studies? Um, <laughs> right. uh, we, we do have more effective uh, interventions that we don't want to forget. 
All right. Well, Michael, this has been extraordinarily helpful. It's it's always exciting when there's new evidence, even if it doesn't change the recommendations so much. So before we let you go, could you let our listeners know what you what you would like them to take away from this episode or, or take away from the, the updated recommendation? Sure. So uh, just to update our recommendation uh, for uh, most uh, mineral and vitamin supplements, including multiple vitamins, we didn't find enough evidence, uh, despite there being lots of studies, to recommend for or against those supplements, with the exception of beta-carotene and vitamin E, which we uh, recommend people not take. And um, maybe the important thing is uh, to not let this seem too negative in that there are plenty of things people can do to reduce their risk of cardiovascular disease and cancer, uh, whether that be a healthy lifestyle, um, uh, that's a a good diverse diet, uh, adequate exercise, uh, and as far as cancer, we have uh, many cancer screening recommendations uh, that are quite effective. So uh, people can think of all these interventions as things they could do to uh, be healthier and live longer. This has been another episode of The Curbsiders, bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain hole. Yummy. <laughs> it's the exact perfect enthusiasm. Get your show notes at thecurbsiders.com. And while you're there, sign up for our mailing list to get our weekly show notes in your inbox. Plus, twice each month, you'll get our new Curbsiders Digest, recapping the latest practice-changing articles, guidelines, and news in internal medicine. We are committed to providing you with high-value practice-changing knowledge. And to do that, we need your feedback. So please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or contact us at thecurbsiders at gmail.com. And a special thanks to our writer and producer for this episode, Paul Williams, and to our whole team here at the Curbsiders. This episode was produced and edited by the team at Podface. Elizabeth Proto runs our social media, and Stuart Brigham composed our theme music. Until next time, Elena Gibson here. And as always, I remain Dr. Paul Nelson Williams. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>